0: Ladies
1: and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird.
0: Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest, and of course, all of my guests are very special, but in this case, I'm interviewing an inspirational leader and social entrepreneur who is also a multi-award winner. Welcome, Ronnie. Welcome, Ronnie Khan.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity to have a chat with you.
0: Honestly, it is my honor. I have been really loved reading your memoir, A Repurposed Life by Murdoch Books. And I was talking before about it just speaks so much, I think, to so many people who are looking to find some purpose in their life and to do something fairly extraordinary, to take an idea and just to have that courage to lean in and do something.
1: So for me, I think the purpose of writing the book and the challenge to think about the right name, but a repurposed life felt absolutely exactly what had happened to me. And I think the most important message for me in the book is that every single one of us has purpose. It's just inside of us. And sometimes we don't identify as that, you know, whether you're being the best mum or whether you're being the best person at work. That is a purpose, and it doesn't always have to be so huge and look like somebody else's purpose. Each and every one of us has purpose within ourselves, and that's the point. It's not out on a shelf, and you don't have to go and buy it. We've all got it, and I wanted the book to make people realize that they can be and do as long as they are themselves.
0: Wow, very profound. And In your book, you do have a few chapters where you talk about advice you've given to people who come to you saying that they sort of feel like they're at that crossroads for life and they don't know what to do to kind of find purpose.
1: Yeah. You know, I had a chat this morning. I was invited to speak to about 150 year 12s. And I always love talking to youth because they're energised and they so, still, so, still have the power in front of them and the future. And they ask such profound questions. And I finished talking and a kid came up to me and said, "Um, I think you've just changed my mindset. I was going to go to university to study something that would make me very rich. That was my goal. He said, I've changed my mind. That's not what I want to do. I want to find a way to give back within whatever it is I could do. So, you know, what more could you want? And then he said, but does that mean I don't have to I I shouldn't earn money. I said, absolutely not. You need to earn money and every bit of money you earn, you give $1 out of every 10 away. You can still live on nine. And it's not about, it's not about doing without. It's about actually filling your own cup, doing the things that provide you with joy because that will reap you the most benefit and reward.
0: Wow. Really well said. But it is hard, I guess. So many parents do want to set their kids up so that they're in a profession where they earn money. There's not many parents who will say, oh, just go and do a social enterprise and go and help other people. Yeah, that's true.
1: But in fact, all I can say is the more you give, the more you get and the more enriched you are in many different ways. And it's not only in non-material ways. And so, like I say, it doesn't have to be extreme and nobody has to go and start walking in barefoot and wear sackcloth and ashes it's about being mindful and whatever it is that you do add value to it in this morning's talk I called on one of the kids I said and what's your name and he told me and I said okay so how would you feel if tomorrow and I looked at this beautiful young girl on the other side of the auditorium I said if you notice she had a broken pen imagine if you came and said hey you know I noticed your pen was broken here's here's a new one it's not a big deal. It's not a hard thing to do. Imagine how you'd feel and how she'd feel. So in all of our, in our every, bring an extra sandwich if you saw somebody or thought they might be hungry. It's the little things and it doesn't mean that you have to actually fundamentally shift and change your life. It's how do you incorporate doing good into every part of your life. That's what's going to add value and that doesn't cost money.
0: Very wise words. And, and yes, it is often those little things, those little gestures that really make a difference, isn't it? It's, I guess, the fact that someone notices that you had that broken pen or you needed that extra sandwich. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's that, if I, if I think about the name of your podcast, The Frugalista, it's obviously we want to save the things that need saving, but you want to be abundantly giving the things that we can and we can abundantly give of ourselves and of our spirit and of our beautiful smiles and moods you know light up a room for someone.
0: That's just so beautifully put and you do talk a lot in your book too about abundance and scarcity. You had quite an interesting upbringing in South Africa. I'm assuming that growing up in South Africa as you did you had no idea that you'd end up in Australia and gone on to win so many awards and I know you don't do what you do for the awards but I'm going to read it out to some of the people and I haven't even got all of the awards there but Local hero in the Australian of the Year Awards in 2010. This year, you're the Australian's Australian of the Year. You're awarded an Officer of the Order of Australia and AO Award in 2019 for Distinguished Service to Social Welfare. And I believe you've also got an honorary doctorate from Griffith University.
1: Mm, And a second one on its way. And in a million years, I would never, ever have believed or expected, and nor do I ever. Ever expect a single one of those. And whilst they're incredibly wonderful and useful and extraordinary, they are not my motivator for a single thing, but they certainly are useful in helping raise the profile of my organization. So there's no doubt that they're useful. Yeah, that, that's not a driver for me.
0: <laughs> so let's go back to your childhood in South Africa. It was obviously a very different time and very different life to Australia today. And you had quite a lot of interesting kind of money influences that were happening at your life when you were younger.
1: Yeah. So my parents, once my father had a very serious accident, money became very scarce and my mother worked her battle to feed us. The kinds of things she did was to bake a couple of hundred cakes a day. But she also sold wallpaper, she sold advertising, she sold encyclopedias. I mean, she did anything she could that would bring in the dollars because my dad was in hospital for a couple of years. Money was always an issue in the background. Not ever, I never felt deprived, but my gifts, birthday gifts were socks and knickers. They were not <laughs> they were not fancy fancy dresses or anything. It was very practical and very down-to-earth, and my mother was very down-to-earth. Now, I can't tell if she was like that before the accident, but certainly after, you only did and what you needed. And so there was this notion of scarcity, and yet, I mean, today everything about me is about abundance, mm. everything. And so what I noticed when growing up was actually my mother died very young, and that scrimped and saved all their lives. And it just made me think that's nuts. We don't know how long we've got to live. All we know is we've got now. So why would I scrimp and save for something that might happen in a hundred years' time, or twenty, or tomorrow? And so I've lived a very different kind of life, really believing that all we have is now, and that I really need to be the one the best I can be, but also not worry about money. Money is money is. The bank's problem, it's not mine.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a good way to put it. But, of course, we've seen a year where a lot of people just haven't had a lot of money and a lot of people haven't had a lot of money, particularly for food. A lot of people have really been in scarcity mindset, fighting for toilet paper, fighting for pasta and tins of tuna. And it must be very hard seeing so many people in such real need. Well, we've
1: added about a million more people to the five million people in Australia who at some point need food relief through the year. So it's it's horrifying. And this is a new demographic, a new cohort, people who would never in their lives ever believed they might need food. And that's really because if you're juggling, if you've suddenly lost your job and there's no prospect of a new job and you do have a mortgage and you do have school fees and you do have medical bills, you know, you start making choices about what you have to do and so it it has really been a very challenging year for many people. And it's only through resilience, I think, and faith and belief and community support that we can get through this.
0: Mm, it's been very difficult. And, of course, you've been at the, the forefront, really, of providing food, essential yeah. food to people. And as you said, often people who've never suffered from food security before, never had that need.
1: Yeah, we've rolled out about 20 new programs, very, very, all, all driven by impact. And it's, and, and the need is not ending because perhaps it looks like COVID is over. It's going to take a long while for a lot of people to reestablish themselves. And so the need is there, but, but I think the spirit of support is, as important and the spirit of knowing that there's somewhere to get support from. And it, you know, all of the, there's absolutely no doubt that the, what we've seen through COVID also was a generosity of community spirit as well as financial donations. We thought that this would be the worst year ever. And people who had money just really and people who didn't have that much just really chose to support. And help those that don't have.
0: That's just really beautiful. And how how can most people support what you do? I mean, I know obviously people can donate to Oz Harvest, but what other sort of yeah. initiatives have you got that people can be involved in?
1: Sure. So first of all, literally money. Every dollar allows us to deliver two more meals. You buy my book, and we can we can deliver five or ten more meals. Thanks to somebody buying a book and reading a good book.
0: And it is a very good Um, book. You need to buy that book.
1: (laughs) You can get involved by going on our website and in across the country. There are ways for people to volunteer. You can create food drives. You can find, if you know people who are in business, to share with them, make sure business of food, make sure that they're not wasting food and that they are tapping into us so that we can make sure that they don't waste any of their surplus. So, there are three things we always say donate, donate your time, donate money, or donate food. And you can do food drives. You can get together with a bunch of friends and pull together produce, and we would either come and fetch it or you could drop it off at any one of our centers across the country.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for letting people know how they can support because I think sometimes it's so easy to be scared for the future that you forget to look at your abundance and your blessings that you have in the present moment.
1: Yeah, you know, literally talking to these kids this morning, I asked this question, and there was
0: just silence. And I said, so how many of you,
1: when you woke up this morning, felt your bed and thought, oh, I'm so grateful for this bed, and then lifted your head, and you there was a window, and you had a wall with a window, and you lifted up and looked up and saw that there was a roof. And you know we take we tend to forget and take for granted some of the things we've got.
0: It's easy enough to do.
1: Yeah. We need a lot of gratitude.
0: Let's take us back to the beginning of Oz Harvest. You had another, I guess, role. So you had a very successful events company, I believe, before you started Oz Harvest.
1: Yes, I did. That's how I was supporting myself and my family. It also had a problem and and therein lies a little clue for anyone who might be listening about where and how they can find their own purpose. So first of all, it is inside of us. But second of all, oftentimes we wake up in the morning or we get through our day and there's something that really irritates us or something that's really a problem and we say, why doesn't somebody fix it? In my case, I needed to fix the problem (laughs) that I had and I was creating surplus food because my vents were Filled with exquisite food, and I always wanted to make sure there was enough and that nobody was hungry. Mm-hmm. And so there was always surplus. And for the first few years, that just got thrown away because it was because it wasn't in my consciousness until I reached that point that it just became obnoxious and absolutely unconscionable to keep throwing away that food. And so my problem was what to do with the surplus food. So. Without even thinking twice, once I identified the problem, I decided the solution would be to make sure that people eat it. And there were plenty of people who were vulnerable who could eat that food. And so I started becoming a rogue food rescuer. <laughs> and I would take that food and deliver it to the one charity that I knew until I thought, wow, this is cool. I could do this with all of the food that I have. And I thought, well, there are other people who've got that food. And and so it snowballed. I never thought started this just as a little passion project and never intended to land up with a national and global organization. But it has grown. And it obviously wasn't such a bad idea because we've just delivering our 170 millionth meal from good food that would otherwise have gone to waste.
0: 170 millionth meal. Mm. Wow, that's quite extraordinary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a
1: lot of food that could have and shouldn't have gone to landfill. So we diverted that, which is hugely important because even in the beginning, I didn't realize the connection between not wasting food and sustainability. But what we now know is that Food waste is the third biggest reason for climate change.
0: The third. The third. That's that's quite significant. It's significant. It's, it's If food waste
1: was a country, it would be bigger than China and the US. So we're talking significant quantities. And what we know is that it makes a huge difference. And so in the beginning, all I wanted to do was make sure we fed people, but Became very clear that we also need to educate all of us on the value of food. We are the champions of food. We've forgotten how to value food. And we need to advocate for food and say, it takes so many resources to prepare that food water, labor, energy, fuel. And then we squander it and throw it away. And we can't do that anymore. We don't have time. Our earth cannot cope with that anymore.
0: What's the size of food waste? You've talked about the size in terms of countries, but before you started, like, was anyone else doing this? Like, what was happening to food waste?
1: It just got thrown away. And still a lot of it does get thrown away (laughs) because as big as we are, there are still people and businesses that are not yet smart enough to know that it's very good business not to waste food. But so the size of the problem in Australia, it's the very The educated but very underestimated size is it's a $20 billion problem. But globally, it's a trillion, it's a $1.5 trillion problem. So it's a huge issue and there are billions of people who need food. The the food supply chain is broken Mm. and the food system is broken because the food is there food is being distributed, and yet a third of all food that is grown goes to waste.
0: Wow, that's phenomenal. I knew it was high, but I didn't realize it was quite that high.
1: Yes. It's
0: a significant problem. For people at home in the kitchen, how can they reduce food waste?
1: Well, the beautiful thing is, I will give you the how, but what it will do for people in their homes is all of our research shows us that we throw away approximately one in five shopping bags. And that equates to about $3,500 a year. Wow. So first of all, imagine if we save $3,500 a year. That's a cool holiday. That's putting a kid through childcare. That's giving beautiful programs, extra lessons, or core food. We have a little mantra, look, buy, store, cook. For all of us at home, look what's in your fridge. Look what's in your pantry before you go shopping. Make a list. Buy what you need. Store it properly. So put what needs to go in the fridge in the fridge. If you've got stuff that needs to go in the freezer, put it in the freezer. And cook. Cook it and eat it. And obviously use your leftovers. But it's look, buy, store, cook. And if all of us follow that mantra, We'd personally, our household pocket would save thousands of dollars, but it would make a significant difference to our country and to the issue of food waste.
0: So that's simple, no technologically advanced options, just monitoring what you've got and, and having a shopping list and, yeah. and storing.
1: And, and, and storing and using it. Eat it. Buy it and eat it. Mm. Don't go shopping hungry.
0: Yeah, that's another good one.
1: yeah
0: but it is hard especially for busy families where both parents are working and they've got the nag factor often they've got the kids with them when they're going shopping and they've got the shopping trolley and there's so many processed foods that are screaming buy me buy me buy me buy me and it's, it's hard to focus sometimes
1: no definitely but but honestly they would save more money they would save significant money if they actually did manage to Choose a time where they dedicated it to shopping and it could, it would be even quicker and easier and more cost effective <laughs> if they took out an hour or these days actually one could go online. But of course, it's easy to say what one could do. But even if we cut down and did what I'm suggesting three quarters of the time or half of the time you'd still have significant saving and it would be good for our planet.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that. So anyone listening, make sure you go shopping with a shopping list <laughs> and store things properly when you come back and then cook it and eat it. Exactly.
1: And then use up your leftovers.
0: Thank you. In your book, you've got some really touching stories of people that Oz Harvest has helped over the years, and I know there's many, many thousands of people, probably even hundreds of thousands of people that you've helped and a lot of individual stories and I guess that detail of just how you touch people is quite amazing. Recently, someone in the Canberra community posted on an open notice board about the fact that she's worked out that her weekly food budget at the moment is only $35 dollars. She's going through some personal trauma in her life right now. things are a bit difficult and things are a bit tight. What advice would you give? someone like her? Well, first
1: of all, wherever we are across the country, the support we give people and whilst I know it's incredibly confronting going to an organization and acknowledging to oneself that one needs support. But other than in Sydney, because in Sydney, we do have a free supermarket, which is wonderful. And I'd love to roll it out into every state, but it takes resources to do that. I think I can't imagine. And of course, I know many people who live on these very tight budgets. I would say we've got a new cookbook out. It's our Nest cookbook and it is, it's based around about a $2 meal, the healthiest food you could buy. So when you buy lentils instead of meat, lentils are much more cost effective. Mm. As wonderful nutritional value. I would honestly, we've got a nest cookbook, which is literally built on nutritious, wonderful everyday food for $2 a meal. You can tap into the Oz Harvest website and ask for our nest cookbook, our everyday cookbook, because it's all about healthy basics on very low cost.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I've been blogging since 2015, I think, about meals that cost $5 or less to prepare. It's getting a little bit more challenging in the current environment. During the the drought and the bushfires, it was also quite challenging too. And the cost of meat really skyrocketed. Actually, after the drought broke, I think as farmers were rebuilding their herds, it became quite difficult. You had to become more creative if you didn't want to just have a lentil diet.
1: Yeah, well, you don't just have to have a lentil diet, but meat, we should all be eating less meat. I don't say eat no meat, but meat is very costly to our planet. But there are certainly plant-based alternatives to lentils and to meat that are tasty, delicious and nutritionally very valuable.
0: Mm, No, I certainly agree with that. And even for people who do eat meat, a lot of the recent guidance, especially from organizations such as the Heart Foundation, are really recommending a lot less red meat that is in the average Australian diet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that I'm against meat. I'm just saying eating less is good for our bodies as well as for the planet and for our (laughs) hip-hop.
0: Most certainly. So, you touched upon some of the things that OzHarvest has done, the 170 million meals, the supermarket in Sydney. How large is OzHarvest now? What is the extent of, of your activities? How's it grown?
1: Yeah, we're across the nation. We're in regional, quite a few regional towns. We're not everywhere. We've got a fleet of 70 vehicles, I've got 240 staff. A big, it's a big organization now.
0: <laughs> One of my good friends is now working for you in Canberra and she speaks very, very highly of working for OzHarvest. You're obviously a very good employer.
1: You know what? We bring on magnificent people. I've always said I'm a magnet for magnificent people. It's easy to be a good employer if you hire wonderful people. And our culture is all about nurturing and making sure that the right people have come to the right place for the right work, for the right reasons. And then you can run an organisation that is culturally very, very profound and authentic.
0: Mm, Wise words. I was listening to Brene Brown recently speaking about cultural change and it is actually a real challenge for organisations to build cultures that are respectful, that do embrace diversity and that aren't toxic. It is quite easy for an organisation to turn toxic without the right management.
1: Yeah, I think that really there is that very obvious saying that fish rots from the head. I think that it's all about leadership. And we have not seen wonderful examples of leadership (laughs) (laughs) lately. And I think that as a leader, one has a very, very, very important role. And you set the tone for the organization. And there's nothing that I would expect a single person in my business to do that I wouldn't do myself. And I was interviewing a new potential employee, a new driver, yesterday. I do the last interview for anyone who's coming into the business, and he said, "I've never heard of this. I've never heard of a CEO who I'm going to be a driver, and I've never, I've worked in so many different businesses, and I've certainly never spoken to a CEO." And I said, "Well, my business is only as good as the people who are part of it, and if." I need to know who wants to come and work for us and why and if they have the right attitude. Skills are easy to find. It's attitude that's much harder to find. Mm. That is why I like to vet anyone who's coming in to make sure that they are the right people.
0: Well said and I guess I'm assuming he would have taken the job because who wouldn't take a job when the CEO bothers to come in (laughs) for an interview and to find out a bit about you?
1: Absolutely well. So he said, but anyway, and and so then I have the joy of then saying, well, I will get our people and culture people to call you, and yeah, when they do a wonderful interviewing job in the first place to to make sure that the right people get to speak to me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Lovely. I have one final question for you, and that is: Do you have a frugalista tip? Is there something that you do? To save money and promote sustainability?
1: So actually, it's going to sound like it's not a frugalista tip, but I would rather buy one item of clothing that is good and sustainable. And I do buy a lot of my clothes are pre-loved. If I buy a new item, I would rather buy one new item that has been made sustainably and costs me more because I know that I will look after it and it will last me much better. I do not buy, I do not buy quick, cheap buys because that is costly to the planet and costly to your hip pocket if you're constantly changing. I know it sounds like not a frugalista, but actually in the long run it is. It saves me money.
0: Well, no, actually that's music to my ears because I'm currently developing a website community called the Joyful Fashionista which is all about promoting sustainable fashion through secondhand and new sustainable fashion. Definitely, this frugalista also wants to be a sustainable fashionista.
1: Absolutely, no doubt about it.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. I think most people can easily find OzHarvest, but where should people get connected with, with you?
1: So I have my own website. So there's the Oz Harvest website. But anyone who wants to talk to me about the book or wants to find out more, there is it's runny, it's com. Yeah, you want to find out more about me, read this book. But OzHarvest.org, if you want to volunteer, get involved, go to our website, OzHarvest.org.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Ronnie. I really appreciate it. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, tell your friends, share with your friends so that they can learn more about what Oz Harvest does and also join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group and community. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a treat.
2: You've been listening to the Joyful Frugalista with Serena
1: Bird. She actually likes everybody. And, of course, sound has been by. Neil Hadley
2: we could watch the- Every day